Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. We're talking all things rookies today. My name is Ian Hardis. Joining me as always, the one, the only, Dwayne The Rock McFarlane. Dwayne, 10 a.m. early record time for us. Still very much a great day to be great. Yeah, yeah, and I'm just happy to see you're up. Look at you. Like, there's no, you don't like have, you don't look like you're tired. You don't look like you just woke up. You got, you got the right hairdo though. Like, you could pull it off. Like, you could have just woken up, and we wouldn't know for sure. But your eyes look, your eyes passed the the test. I think you, I think you've been up a little bit. I did a uh, impromptu stream football guys championship draft with my buddy John Daigle last night. Started at 11:55 p.m. You know what? I'm here. I'm awake. I'm ready to go because we have a great guest joining us here today. Host of Wake Up TV, Destination Debbie Radio, part of the Draft Network. The man also has the all-gas newsletter. Returning guest, the one, the only, Ray Garvin, Ray GQ on YouTube and Twitter. I guess I said both of you guys are the one, the only, but I, I think you are. I love both of you guys. Ray, great to have you back, man. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate you having me on, man. Last time Ray was here, I was recording out of a hotel room in Nashville and the fire alarm started going off halfway through the pod. I'm knocking on wood right now, but cautiously optimistic that we can enjoy a little more success there. So if anyone has been following Ray on Twitter, YouTube, however the hell you consume your content, you know this is one of the more knowledgeable guys in the industry about all things with the rookie class coming in. So it's hard not to talk about these guys and have some dynasty input, but generally going to be focusing on 2022 redraft principles today. So Ray, as we know, in 2022, you know, the whole offseason, we were talking about these quarterbacks for a day. It was like Malik Willis. I remember we were talking about him going at number two overall to the Lions. Oh, my gosh. We get to the end of the draft. Only Kenny Pickett goes round one. But according to training camp, he's the QB three right there. Very good chance that not a single rookie quarterback is under center by week one. Hell, maybe even week eight. With that said, I want to briefly talk about Malik Willis because we've seen guys like Taysom Hill. Rookie year, Lamar Jackson. I'm not here to slander Lamar. Please don't put that on me. But rookie year, Lamar, Taysom Hill, rookie year, Jalen Hurts. These quarterbacks, that let's face it, weren't good at throwing the ball, but they still provided us A-plus fantasy value from the beginning thanks to that sweet, sweet rushing upside. Ray, do you think Willis is special enough as a rusher to immediately hop into that top 12, top 15 quarterback conversation should Ryan Tannehill miss some time? I think he is special enough as a runner, but he's still not good enough as a passer to get there. I I don't think there's a shot in hell. And just being realistic, he had a long way to go before he was drafted in the third round of the NFL draft. He was already sort of a project-type quarterback. Uh, You know, Ryan Tannehill is, is, is... He's comfortable. He's comfortable in that spot. And if, by some crazy chance, Malik Willis got a shot to play... I just I don't know how that how well that would work out, Ian. I think you would truly just be banking on him be completing a couple of passes and just running like crazy. And with Derrick Henry in that backfield, I just don't think it would be enough for Malik Willis to push for top twelve. I don't think he's got a shot in hell this season to do it, even if he even if he somehow wound up under center. He's just so far behind from a, from a quarterback standpoint still got to be able to complete the damn ball man and I, I just don't think Malik Willis is there yet as much as I like the talent of the player Dwayne I remember so, us- so even worse than Tebow huh <laughs> I think I, what T- Tebow gave us like some top 10 finishes a few times where we're like wow like it really does all if you just run I guess that's all that matters here's the thing though Dwayne I mean my thing is at least Tebow for as bad as he was he did it in the SEC you're talking about Malik who I get the, the the athleticism, man. I think it's he's he's a work in progress. He's a significant work in progress, and he would have to do a little something from the quarterback position with his arm. And I just don't think he's there yet. I just do not think he's there yet. Uh, so probably, yeah, probably even a little worse than Tebow this season. <laughs> this season, we did see and, and Dwayne. Like again, when I wrote this question down, I just kept coming back to our Taysom Hill conversations uh, yeah. in the middle towards the end of last season, where you basically echoed everything Ray saying, where it's like, look, 10 rush attempts for a quarterback. It's great. I think we can all agree on that, but my God, you got to be able to complete a forward pass just, you know, every now and every now and again in the year 2022. Yeah. So that's the quarterback talk that concludes it. <laughs> that's what this class We're looks done. like. We're done. Ray, Ray's like, okay, what else you guys got? Yeah, let's, <laughs> let's talk some running backs, Ray. Uh, a, a little more promising, I think, on that front yeah. for the 2022 class than you know the quarterback. So I know the big one, right, that everybody's thinking about, whether it's redraft, whether it's you know rookie drafts, it's Brees Hall, you know. And so I think the big question that the redraft community has, though, 
you know, you'll see he's going right now rounds four, round five. He definitely had, we know he has the every down profile. We've seen that get more thoughts from you on that. But I think the big question is folks look at Michael Carter, right? And they're like, yeah. Michael Carter was really good in the passing game. You know, not Alvin Kamara like level, but like a notch below that. You know, he had some really good peripheral stats, targets per route run, yards per route run, all that kind of stuff. They were high and he had a plus a dot. So he wasn't just like a check down guy. So there's definitely some skill there. But what are your thoughts when you look at that backfield and you consider the talent level of Brees Hall, who also, you know, was a good receiver in college? Do you see Hall being able to take over an every down role? And if it happened, like, what do you think that means? If he gets the every down role, I mean, this guy could finish this season. I, I think top five is within the range of outcomes for him if he gets the every down role. Big if. If was a fifth, right? But I just don't think he's going to do that for a variety of reasons. Carter was, Brees Hall is the better running back prospect, the better running back talent. He's got the size, the same receiving profile. We talked about Michael Carter, and I saw Brees Hall be a bell cow for multiple years at Iowa State. Michael Carter showed that promise towards the end of last season, but there was a reason why they went and drafted Brees Hall in the second round of the NFL draft. The the thing that I, and, and I'm very curious, Dwayne and Ian, to, to your thoughts of this, but the NFL, man, the, the traditional bell cow in the sense of the word that we're accustomed to, it's rare, man. You've got a couple of guys that are just going to go out there and get every damn carry, every reception. They're just on the field, you know, 80% of the time. And from an NFL schematic standpoint, it makes a ton of sense to deploy a multiple running back system. It forces defensive coordinators to adjust. It allows your offense to have a little more flexibility. Can Brees Hall do it? Absolutely. Will it come to fruition this season? Absent a Michael Carter injury, and we knock on wood, we don't ever pray and hope for injuries, right. but absent a Michael Carter injury, I just don't know if he's going to see that level of volume in year one to be that top five, top six running back this season. The perspective moving forward looks fantastic, but this year, they're, they're, Michael Carter's not going away. I don't know why people think he's just going to go to the bench. He's buried. He showed well. He's got a he's got a particular set of skills that in the NFL are very useful, and I think they're going to want to keep both guys fresh. It makes sense from an offensive scheme standpoint. So top five upside for Brees Hall this year, Absent a Michael Carter injury, I'm just not seeing it this season. And that's not an indictment on Brees. Brees is dope, but Michael Carter was a solid, solid, you know, third down back. And he was capable last year as well. So that's where I'm at with Brees. I think, the- and I think to be fair, people echo, you know, your, your thoughts. Like, I think that's why he's a fourth to fifth round pick, you know, uh, in redraft. Like if we, I think if we thought there was not any obstacles, you know, he'd probably be going in the second round, you know, of fantasy redraft. So any thoughts on where you are comfortable? taking Brees Hall, knowing he still has the every down skill set, probably going to share time with Michael Carter. I mean, that could be a number of things, right? It could be 50-50. It could be 55-45. It could be 60-40. We really don't know, to be honest. Like, only the coaching staff knows. So is there a spot where if you're in redraft that you would be comfortable targeting Hall? I think that four or five range, four or five round range is is good for me. Here's the thing. Ultimately, you know, year after year, we're we're pretty bad at projecting player outcomes year to year as a whole, but really good at, at sort of identifying which offenses and defenses are going to be good and bad. And as much as I like Brees Hall, the Jets offense still is a work in progress. We we need to see something else out of uh, not Garrett Wilson but Zach Wilson we need to see some more maturation and growth for him to take some of the pressure and and get those boxes from being stacked because if I'm a defense and I don't fear Zach Wilson I'll just load the box single cover the guys outside maybe roam a safety over top and say beat me on the ground so I think round four or five is about appropriate for Brees I don't round three is is absolute like you're pushing it at that point it better be back half of round three but I just the Jets offense. I'm I'm hopeful it takes a step forward, but I got to see it, man. It's still this is a scary offense to try to invest a second or a third round pick in a player as talented as Brees Hall still. But I just don't know if I could do that. To uh, raise earlier point, just about the scheme and having to find one of these offenses that's actually willing to give a running back a three down roll because they're not as common these days. I did have an article go up on pff.com looking at that very factor, which offenses have been giving running backs 90% uh, snap rate, 75%, 60% snaps. And the Jets were one of only three teams 
Baltimore, the Texans, and the Jets are the teams with their play callers without a single game of giving a running back at least 75% of the offensive snaps. Not even one time, man. So Michael Carter, I do think where he's going in drafts is actually a little underrated. He's got like that Daryl Henderson vibe to him where maybe he gets standalone value. Maybe he doesn't, but just the potential handcuff value for where he's going, I think makes a lot of sense, you know, in the kind of depths of the draft right there. And Dwayne, like, look, I love Javante Williams. You love Javante Williams. Why does only Javante Williams get to have the fun? Like, oh, look at all the missed tackles he forced. Michael Carter had a higher rate of forcing missed tackles than Javante Williams when you include what he did in the past game. So it's one of these things where we love Brees Hall, but Michael Carter, pretty damn good. And as much as I would love to sit here and say Brees Hall is going to get that 70 or 80% workhorse rate, you know, Dwayne Girl Scout saunters up to the door. Like, what, Dwayne, what do you think the split would be? I'm thinking like 60-40 in favor of Bruce. I think 60-40, and I think to Ray's point, he can pay off in round four or five. You know, the main thing that you need from Brees Hall is it cannot be a situation where you look up week one and we come to do the utilization report and it says Brees Hall wasn't on the field on passing downs at all. Because to Ray's point, if you're in an offense that could suck, and an offense that could trail a lot, right? I mean, the Jets are a work in progress. No, Ray put it perfect. Um you got to be able to be out there on the passing down. So if all of a sudden we found out Michael Carter was getting all the passing down work, like Brees Hall's going to tank at his ADP. Now we're not, I'm with Brees. I love Brees Hall in round four, round five, because the other point, Ray, you made that was great. The other thing we're also pretty good at is identifying the archetypes, right, of these players that we want to draft. Also good at figuring out the offenses. So we know it's in his range of outcomes that it really could just be, Maybe Brees Hall is out there, you know, three series in a row and, and Carter gets one, but they both get to do everything like that would be great for Brees Hall as long as he's on the on the field and passing downs. But it, there is a range right in the outcomes where they just decide Carter's the passing down back. You do not want to be the early down back on an offense that wins four games. You're just not going to score many fantasy points because teams that lose aren't scoring points. And guess what? When they're trailing late in games, they want to throw the ball. They're not yeah. going to run the ball and run clock off. So there's. He, Brees Hall has a very wide range of outcomes. I'll when did we start? When did we start talking about the Seahawks the running backs, Dwayne? We were not talking <laughs> about the Seahawks running backs until you had to go there. But let me let me ask y'all something because I I don't know what's what's better or what's worse is would the would you be okay if Brees Hall let's just say he had the first two series of the game and then Michael Carter's gets a full series no matter what it was three like that's his series then Brees Hall gets two Michael Carter gets one like. Is that better or is it like, is what's concerning Brees Hall first and second down, third down, he's off the field, and then you put Michael Carter in? Just for the people listening that may not, you know, they may not know the nuances. Like, if you're just watching it, would you rather Brees get his time and then there goes Michael Carter for a series? Or would you rather Brees Hall be the first and second down back and then they're throwing in Michael Carter in third downs or, or hurry up offenses? Yeah. I think, you know, that's, yeah, so I, I'm not making my point very clear. I want the former. Yeah. <laughs> I want yeah. what you mentioned where he he's out there for two series, but he yep. gets everything, right? Because yep. then if they're trailing, we want those passing downs. Um, if he's all of a sudden for sure just that first and second down back and the Jets aren't good, yeah, like Brees Hall's going to miss by a good bit. You know, I, he's still worth where he's going in ADP, but re- folks just have to remember, and I, you know, I, that's why I love like the question you ask. We're really betting on ranges of outcomes here, folks. We're, Anybody can sit there and tell you their projections, and we all do them, and they're very useful. They're part of your process. But let's be real. We're betting on ranges here, and Brees has a wide range. We need those targets. Again, I, I've brought this up before. I'll bring it up again. Damon Harris scored freaking 15 touchdowns last year and was their RB20 and PPR points per game it's silly full ppr scoring i don't think it properly reflects you know the best players and the best plays that we're seeing on the field it's the game we play them real real quick since we did talk this hall so ray you're on the clock you're in the fourth round you got to take zeke or you can have Brees hall ray's also a dallas guy he like like ian and myself so i have to ask ray (laughs) i'm listen uh I'm probably taking Zeke, man. For this season, I, I I probably would take Zeke. I think the offense is better. Scoring opportunities for Zeke. Uh, we could get into a, a whole show about Dallas and the, the lack of pass catchers that they have. Yeah. But this season, fourth round, I would feel a little bit better taking Zeke. Yeah, and I think that's where you are, too. I think I'm the outlier here on Brees, but I, I could be wrong. Just by a hair. Yep, I got Zeke. Yeah, tad bit. Just a tad bit. Yeah, I think Zeke absolutely has the best median outcome of the two. I think the top end range might be a little a little higher for Hall just because of the passing down. But we'll, we'll keep moving on the backs here. So we got another one for you, Ray. 
Um, I, I've been promoting James Cook quite a bit on on Twitter, and I t- pretty much what I get is you know hate um, because if you didn't know Ray, rushing quarterbacks they never throw to running backs, never, ever. not even if ever. there's a fire. So don't even think it's a possibility; it will never happen unless it was Cam Newton and he got CMC. Oh. But let's not talk about that. Let's set that aside. I'm not even going to bring that up again. Well, I might, but I'll try not to. Um, but just looking at Cook, I think you know through your lens, you know, evaluating the player, the talent, I guess the big question I have, do you think he's really just more of an occasional mismatch player that you can use in the passing game? Or do you think maybe he could offer more? Because the other narrative out there is there's no way he's getting any of the touches. Set aside the fact that Alvin Kamara finishes a top three running back, you know, with only 27% of the rushing attempts, you know, before. So there's paths to value there. But I think that's the big question people have. Could he be more than just that mismatch player in the passing game? And then I guess, you know, the other really... The other component of that is how good do you think he is in the passing game? And how do you think Buffalo could potentially use the player? Well, I think Buffalo told us exactly what they wanted to do when they tried to sign J.D. McKissick, right? They tried to go get that player. Somehow the commanders got him back to to, to Washington and they went out and they chose James Cook in the second round. And let me just be honest, when I graded him out, he he was outside of my top 20 running backs for me. But that's because of what I look for as a rusher. He just didn't possess that skill set. He is not a between-the-tackles grinder. He's not He's not a goal back. That's just not his game. He did grade out as the best pass-catching back in this class for me, and it's not close. And I think there's a big difference between running backs that can catch passes and running backs that can be deployed as pass-catching weapons. And I think that's James Cook. I do believe he can be deployed as a weapon in the receiving game and I, I saw and don't don't you maybe have to fact check me here, but I saw a tweet the <laughs> other day that said Devin Singletary participated in the third most routes from the running back position last year. I, I saw it on Twitter, so it has to be true. It has to be true. It is it is it is truth. But I, I think I am more in on James Cook now being on this offense that projects to be one of the best offenses in the NFL. I want a piece of that offense. I want a piece of this second round running back who I think he's he's not a zero between the tackles. It's just not a strong suit. Can he run and make defenders miss? Absolutely. He's got the speed. I'm in on James Cook a lot more after the draft capital and the landing spot of Buffalo and then seeing what Buffalo tried to do this offseason. So um, I'm very much in on him. Do I think hey, he's just Ray, a, can you will you elaborate just real quick? Because I think you hit on a super important point there. Um, and it's something I've actually brought up as well. I think you can explain it better than me. I explain it with data, right? Historically, mm-hmm. I go back and I look for running backs that have a plus average depth of target. That means okay. they're typically being integrated more into the passing game down the field. But so the difference being this is not a check down player in the flat. I make my first read, my second read, my third read, fine, I dump it in the flat. And so that's kind of where my head goes when I hear you say more integrated in the passing game. I've also noticed that players with plus a dots that their uh, target shares are stickier year over year because they're a better chance to be a first or second read. But can you just talk about like what you look for in that? Um, you know, when you're looking for that type of profile of back and, and, you know, just let people understand helping people understand what you mean by that. Yeah, I, I want to see my running backs be able to run actual receiver routes, whether they motion out of the backfield into the slot, start out in the slot, motion in the backfield, Texas routes, option routes, downfield routes. And it's beautiful when the data and the film sort of line up. The, the easiest way to sort of explain it is think Christian McCaffrey, think Austin Eckler. These are running backs that can be deployed. Like there's a very real possibility we walk in to the season and you see uh, formations where Austin Eckler is in the slot and Isaiah Spiller's in the backfield. Like that's a pass catching weapon. As much as I love King Henry, King Henry can catch the ball. They ain't deploying him as a weapon. I saw him split out a couple of times last year. I think he tried to run a slant and it hit him in the hands and it and dropped it. But that essentially like very general and high level view. You want to see those running backs be utilized as sort of essentially a slot receiver running those routes that are down the field as you as you discussed, Dwayne. And I think that is what James Cook can do at a proficient level. And with them losing Cole Beasley with Jamison Crowder uh, constantly hurt all the time, I think there's a good chance that we see James Cook used in that way for a Josh Allen-led offense, which is a good offense. I want a part of it. 
in that Michigan game where they were just straight up using him out wide. And yeah, hey, James Cook can run straight by white, slow white Big Ten linebackers. Who, <laughs> who would have thought, guys? So, uh, with that in mind, too, like, man, Dwayne, how how much more do you think Devin Singletary weighed at the combine than James Cook did? Uh, maybe five pounds. Singletary's pounds. not big. That's that's what I'm saying. And now look, BMI is different. And that's, and that's the narrative everybody gives you. I was too small. And you're like, you know how big the other back in the backfield is? Come Singletary's on, five foot seven. I get it. He's built different. Yeah, James yeah. Cook is BMI. five foot But really, man, I feel like if James Cook had weighed 202 instead of 199, people would be far more willing yeah. to consider the chances of him being at least somewhat more of a rusher. Like, Ray, I hear what you're saying. I don't think he's someone that you want to run between the tackles, but why are NFL teams still devoting so many plays between the tackles in the first place? Like if I have a running back that's making us throw the ball more or pushing the edges, that's not a bad idea, man. Let's make those cornerbacks tackle. I don't want to go deal with the Jordan Davises of the world in the inside anyway. You got to you gotta assert your dominance, man. This is still uh, <laughs> 1950s. We got to show you that we could slam it up the A-gap uh, with these inefficient carries. And just really quickly, just some insight, and y'all may know this, but just for the people, if you're looking at, well, he never did it in college. Why? He never got the ball in college. Kirby Smart in Georgia, their pitch to collegiate running back recruits is – you're going to be fresh for the NFL because we're not going to ride you into the ground. And that's just, you go look through the history of Georgia running backs and outside of Nick Chubb, I mean, DeAndre Swift was split in work with Sony Michelle and Nick Chubb. That's just what they do. They rotate their backs and that's why they continue to get five-star after five-star because they just said, we've got a bunch of running backs. We're not going to use you up. You're going to have tread left on the tires when we get you to the NFL. So James Cook can run between the tackles. It's not his strong suit, right? We're not saying he's going to go out there and plow people over like Javonta Williams, but I, I'm, I'm trying to think of a, a floor for Cook that would make us happy. If he gets six to eight carries a game and then he's getting his five, four, five, six targets a week, is that somebody that we want? And I'm just throwing numbers yeah, out around, here. Round nine, around nine to 11 of redraft right now. Like, and especially in PPR, like, I feel like it's hard to not be in on him with what you just said. Like, that's kind of where I'm at. I'm like, really? I mean, is he going to be less than that? Is he going to be less than six to eight touches and maybe five, six targets a game? I, I kind of feel like that's where he's going to be. And the offense is so wide open pass game wise. Look, we're, we're in on Gabriel Davis. This is not slander to him. Isaiah McKenzie, and that's great and everything. But behind Stefan Diggs, like there really is just so much available opportunity. And Dwayne, once you start looking at that RB3 range, I, I just think when you start comparing Cook to the rest of the guys there, no one has that, as you've uh, comped it a lot. Kamara-esque rookie season upside. We don't need a running back to have 250 carries. Give us the guy with a chance to get well, seven. And, and to targets. Ray's point, I do remember coming out of college, and I can't remember exactly who all said this, but the big knock on Kamara was he was a corner store player. Oh, he can't take it up the gut. He won't run it up the gut. Well, and, and sometimes I'm like, well, do you stop to think that sometimes these guys in college they're so good that it they don't have to take it up the cut. They're like, yeah, yeah I'm going to the corner store. I don't got to get hit as much, and I can outrun all you dudes. And then I can juke somebody in the open field, and I get a big run. But then you get to the NFL, and it's up to them to make adjustments, right? Yeah, you can't go to the corner store all the time. But I don't think because someone does that, it means it's what they're going to be in the NFL. And we we saw that with Kamara. And again, we're not trying to say, look, Kamara is an extreme outcome. We're not saying that James Cook is even going to be that, but I think people just got to at least open their eyes. And I love what you said, Ray, and we could probably jump over. We don't have to, but we could jump over onto the Ken Walker stuff. Kenneth Walker. He's, his name's different on every sites. Now we got Ken Walker, Kenny Walker, <laughs> Kenneth Walker, the third KW three um, people. Come on. Like d don't, don't get so stuck on this. I, I get it. We want to play probabilities, but the stuff with, Oh, he could never catch the football. Just watch that man move. Watch that man move. Watch his hips. I promise you Kenneth Walker can catch the football. Will they do it? We don't know. We don't know if they'll use them that way. But I, I love that you pointed that out. All right, we'll keep moving. <laughs> Sorry, still, Ian. I thought, thought Ian was jumping in with another. We are still thing. working on the three-man interviews. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Us, uh, yeah we're learning this, people. Ray. So, you know, we'll probably learn a thing from, from your uh, you know, on it. But so you a guy you just mentioned though, Isaiah Spiller. You know, you mentioned him with Eckler. Um, fell from round two. He was originally a round two prospect when the draft grading process, when I say started back in February, right? Yep. And then the combine comes. Has a really bad 40 time. Pro day comes. We're hoping for a bailout package here. We, we just like, you know, come on, man. Come out there and give us a good vert. We can get yep. behind. Give us a good broad jump. Didn't. Didn't do those things. So he falls to round four. However, 
he was a very productive college player. He broke out early in college at a big program. You mentioned SEC earlier for Texas A&M. And so looking at the situation, you've got Larry Roundtree, you've got Joshua Kelly, late round picks, you know, for the Chargers in previous years, haven't necessarily shown that much. And so right now, Isaiah Spiller going around 10 to 12, you know, for redraft folks, what are your thoughts on Spiller? Do you think he is an upgrade over what they have? And do you, would you ex- clearly expect him to be the backup? I know early in camp and Ian had a really good tweet of someone that literally had said all three things about, you know, who's getting the, the carries behind Eckler. You know, it was Roundtree and then it was Kelly. And then and I think people forget folks as practice. This is what coaches do. We don't we don't know for sure what drill they were running or anything, you know, but they're going to mix these guys in. That's what they do in practice. And some of it's just from the nature of you got to keep people fresh, right? You can't run everybody on the ground. But what are your thoughts on Spiller? And, and I think as a side note for folks, like how much do you care about the combine, you know, at the running back position? Uh, I think it matters to a degree. I, I do think it it matters because it, it gives us a good indicator of where these guys are going to be drafted and helps us, you know, kind of better project the draft capital for the players, which no matter if you're film, team film or team analytics, I mean, that freaking matters when and where they get drafted matters. Right. In the case of Isaiah Spiller, I mean, you just laid it out. I mean, he was productive in the SEC as a true freshman. He's still 20 years old. Uh, he's got the size to handle a three-down workload. And last year, Austin Eckler received the most carries of his career. And that was, what, 205, 206, his highest carry total of his career. And have we not seen the Joshua Kelly experiment over the past couple of years? Like, I'm not... I'm not, if Spiller can't beat out Kelly or Roundtree, then he's a certified bomb. Like he's a certified bomb and I want nothing to do with him. But I think he's a good player, man. It's, it's one of those things where it's, it's juxtaposed to analytics. But all I can point you to is say, if you watch him, if you just, just turn on Spiller, you're like, man, that dude can play. I think the athletic testing matters a ton until the NFL says it doesn't matter anymore. And the NFL we see that we see this happen all the time, you guys, where a player who may not have tested like a supreme athlete or didn't get the draft capital that we like gets in and they get an opportunity to play and they seize that opportunity and continue to have a productive career. That is not some anomaly that happens. Now, that doesn't make it a great bet. I'm not saying this is a great bet and just ignore it. And every fourth, fifth round running back that's getting some buzz, you go draft that player. That's where you got to use some damn common sense and some context, right? The Chargers don't want to run Austin. Austin Eckler said it himself. I don't want to carry the ball 250 times a season, right? Get somebody in here that can help keep me fresh. That's what they want to do. They want to deploy a two-back system. And I don't think Justin Jackson was some world beater. And when he got opportunity to play last year, he was helping people win weeks. So I'm in on Isaiah Spiller at cost. Do I think his ceiling is is limited absent an Austin Eckler injury? Absolutely. I, I just I don't know if he's going to get enough volume to matter. So do you have to draft him? Maybe. And maybe he's a guy where people fade him and, you know, you get him off what, waivers. What your, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on his ability in the passing game? Because I think that's all that's that's he's got key, it. Right. He's got it. He's got it. And to have that size and the fluidity fluidity in the open field, I, I am not concerned about Spiller in the passing game at all. He's got that. He's got that down. PFF draft guy talking about where Spiller specifically wins. Versatility. Spiller wins by being able to execute any role asked of him, whether it's taking 30 carries in a game, seeing a half dozen targets, or being assignment sound and pass protection. Spiller won't look out of place. To Ray's point, when Justin Jackson did have that spot start, 11 carries, 9 targets, robust 73% snap rate. So I'm with you, Ray. I don't really see the path to standalone value because Jackson, Roundtree, and Kelly, I mean, together last year, they combined for just 130 seven carries and 33 targets i think it's probably wishful thinking to assume that a hundred percent of that goes to spiller here with that said i mean Dwayne, if something happened to eckler and spiller steps in that justin jackson role you know we're not just crossing eckler's name out and putting spiller there instead but this is someone that i think would be really tough to keep out of at a minimum the top 20 and if we get a good week or two man he could be knocking on that rb1 door in a hurry yeah, I mean, I honestly would be assuming that it's just him. And unless this camp stuff continues on and we get to preseason and we just hear that he's freaking buried. But even then, by the end of the season, I would still probably have my chip on Spiller to work his way up that depth chart. Because remember, folks, these guys come out, they're, they're rookies. 
They're learning, and the coaches want a lot more from them than just, hey, can you carry the ball? Can you catch the ball? There's a lot of there's a lot of things, right, that they're trying to pick up. And so sometimes that's why we see these rookies break out later. That's why the bye week narrative works, right, for a lot of these rookies. And we see them after a bye week become more integrated into a game plan. So, yeah, I, I think Spiller does carry, you know, some potential one-off upside just because – we, we have other backs ranked in the same range where we think, oh, they'll get 30 for 40% of the work and they might give you a spike week. I, I'm with you, Ian. I would ne- I don't want to have to think about starting Spiller, inserting him into a redraft lineup. But if I'm in best ball, you might come away with a game or two where he steals a, you know, a touchdown, catches four balls, something like that. Could be a blowout, you know, things like that. So I think there's some opportunity. Um, but yeah, the, the big upside obviously hits, you know, if, if we get the contingency value, that's the new popular word in the industry, <laughs> contingency value, folks, you got to know your buzzwords. If you're going to be in this game, um, Ray, we know, you know, all the buzzwords. So another guy, Rashad white people are they're in Ray people are in, if you go over in high stakes drafts, I mean, Rashad white goes in ninth round. Now I think again, another player that has something we like in college. He has that passing down profile. He also plays for the Buccaneers, a pass-heavy offense. But we have also seen Tom Brady be someone that, boy, you better know all your assignments. You better be locked down. And if you don't, he will doghouse you. And so my question on a guy like Rashad White, um, you know, a couple things. A, your your thought on him as a talent, you know, and in the passing game. Um, do we think there's a chance he could actually be more than just a handcuff to Leonard Fournette. Do we think he's good enough in the passing game that he could carve out that kind of role? And look, we let's face it, like the Bucks, even though they've added some players, like, you know, early part of the season, we not have Godwin full strength, right? You know, Julio, we got to see if he can stay healthy. You know, Mike Evans is a great player. Um, Russell Gage, we really like, but you know, there's questions, you know, so, I mean, there's some opportunity here that they could potentially try to get some of these other guys involved in the passing game. What are your thoughts on Rashad White and the fact that people are willing to be pretty aggressive on him, you know, in fantasy drafts. Uh, I don't know, man. I think we're going to love this answer just by the start. I don't know. <laughs> Listen, I like Rashad White, the player, a lot. The skill set is there. The talent is there. It, it, there's a lot of wishful, hopeful thinking with this one because I don't see a world in which he just usurps Leonard Fournette and he's the primary passing down back. I they, they want to use two backs. Tampa Bay wanted to use two running backs last year. They just really didn't have anybody behind Lenny that they trusted enough to really leave on the field in those situations. You got to protect Tom Brady first and foremost. They lost Ryan Jensen. They, they, they don't have any wiggle room for somebody coming in on third down and getting Brady's block knocked off on the blind side. And Rashad White's specialty is not pass protection. He did not have to do it in college. And I'm not in Tampa Bay, but I would assume that he's probably struggled in that aspect of his game early through camp, like most collegiate running backs, because they don't do that in college, in practice in college. Round nine to 11, I I mean, his his range of outcomes has to be around the same place as Isaiah Spiller. I I don't know how one could be low on Spiller and so much higher on a Rashad White, I think they're both kind of in the same boat. I This is one I truly don't know how this is going to play out. I like Rashad White, but man, I just, this one I have no damn clue. None. If, if what Lenny to do went with down, him. If Lenny went down, what would be, and again, I know we're way early here, man. Right. <laughs> so I'm not trying to put you on the spot. No, you're but good. Would your expectation really just be more of a committee, or do you think there's committee. a chance Rashad? Committee. I, I would I would assume committee. I don't see there's a world in which he just he's the guy and they're just going to give it to him wholeheartedly. I, they might sign somebody. I think it'd be a committee if that if that were to happen. Dude, they gave Keyshawn Vaughn 19 touches in a start in that Eagles playoff win last season. Like, yeah, then Leonard Fournette came back and they gave the backfield back over to him. But again, we just every year we do this. We talk about these rookies for the entire offseason and we just get it in our head that they are immediately going to zoom up the freaking backfield depth chart. Giovanni Bernard could just be the pass down back again. Like there are there are a lot of things that need to go right for Rashad White, even in terms of a handcuff piece. Like Dwayne, I, I just you know, we talk about players hopefully having lots of outs and, you know, different ways to kind of meet their value. Yeah. It's like the opposite for Rashad White. I'm not here to hate on the prospect profile, but man, it, th- there's a lot of revisionist history going on here in terms of like, well, look, the Bucks took Keyshawn Vaughn 15 spots ahead of Rashad White, but we always knew he was a bad pick. He was never going to work out. <laughs> Rashad White, let me tell you, let me tell you about his PFF receiving grade. And that stuff does matter, but 
again, Dwayne, just looking at it objectively, they paid Fournette. They do have other running backs that they've trusted before. To and me, we've talked I, about Lenny before. P- people yeah. just discount Lenny in the passing game. Um, and I was surprised. I didn't know this. Like when I looked him up and just started really looking at his targets per route run, like he's been over 20% every year in his career. And I, and I started, you know, Ray, I started reading off the list of these names to Ian. We're not saying he's these guys, but like he's better in the past game than people think. But it's like, it's like every passing down back you've ever heard of. And then there's Lenny, like sticking it, sticking out like a sore thumb. So there's something coaches like about Lenny in the passing game. He hasn't always got to play all the passing downs, but when he's been on the field, you know, he's a 20% target per route player, which is an RB1 territory, which blends in a lot of these guys like Kamara. And, you know, CMC that have like 25%, you know, averages. So um, when you look at a player like, you know, Lenny, I think he's underrated in the passing game. I, I will say this, Rashad White. I think there's a path to taking him in your draft. Like, say, for example, and we're talking to redraft, you start off, you know, with one running back in the first three rounds. You just pound, you get your quarterback, you get your tight end, you pound the receivers, you get to round nine, you don't have an RB2 yet. I think there is a path there where you just got to take multiple of these guys. And so if that's your plan, then you're going to go Rashad White. You're going to come back in the next round, go Isaiah Spiller. And then you're going to come back in the next round and hit another similar, maybe it's Michael Carter. And then you're going to hit another one in the next round because you got to keep on and you're just hoping one of them hits. Bingo. You know, maybe two. But I don't think you should be counting on – that's the strategy I think you have to take with a player like Rashad White um, versus, you know, just expecting too much out of the gate. Dwayne, that was that. That is the strategy. If you're gonna do that, if that's the game you're gonna play, give yourself multiple outs, right? Go White, go Spiller, go Carter. You're just looking for one of them to hit, right? And if two of them hit, even better. But you just need one of them to get a shot. That's that's the strategy, man. And and you know, optimally, you would get James Cook in round eight first, right, Ian? <laughs> there it is. I'm <laughs> I'm just excited for this next one because I mean, anytime, guys, anytime you can talk about a seventh round running back that everyone loves, you know, just no one has a bad thing to say about Isaiah Pacheco. Everyone's just been in on this guy from the beginning, I guess. Uh, that's what it certainly seems uh, like out here, Dwayne. Yeah, well, and I think, you know, we've got J.J. Zacharyson, who's a really smart guy. Okay, J.J. actually was. Like, J.J., I think, is the one guy that can be, like, hyping this up. But come on, everyone else, I don't want to hear it. We didn't even know who Isaiah Pacheco was until, like, two weeks ago. Right, but that's why I want to ask Ray, because there is the (laughs) camp buzz. Um, and again, some of this stuff you got to take with a grain of salt because camp buzz is just that like if we, we have, I would love more context from reporters when they tell us, here's what, you know, the rotation looked like, like, I'd like to know the drill. I mean, there's so many things I would love to know. And even then, I don't know how much we would be able to parse out, but I think you at least have to, we have to at least acknowledge, right. That it's a good offense. So if yep. there was a chance and we know that CEH and Rojo, they have not performed to their draft capital, not saying they're bad bad players ceh has obviously been hurt had that gallbladder thing none of us even knew about last year i mean you know imagine coming to camp you know and showing up and being like 160 or you know starting off at 160 and having to work your way up you know to try to get back to 200 pounds there's you know we have to give some people some grace there but the fact remains that both of these guys you know they've had their limitations ceh not been explosive hasn't been what we thought in the passing game rojo we know not really passing that option. Nice between the tackles, gotten better in that aspect in his career, but there, there's questions. So I think that's why the buzz around Pacheco is really gaining gaining steam, and the fact that we know it's with Kansas City. So this is your this is all you, Ray. I don't know anything honestly about Isaiah Pacheco. Like I, I know his college data, but I've not watched him. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on the player? Any chance this buzz is real? The fact that we're having this conversation about this seventh round running back. I think it lends to credence to, I think there is some real opportunity. Um, Again, not a bet that I say you should take, like this is a scary proposition to go with the seventh round running back, but the fact that CEH, Ronald Jones, and say what you want about Jarek McKinnon still lasting around, like there's, there's, there's no clear cut guy. And if I've learned anything over the past couple of years, I think Kansas city, they have no problem rolling out whomever, whether that's McKinnon, Daryl Williams, Clyde Edwards-Elair. Hell, they gave uh, – who else today? That's, yeah, Damian, yeah. Damian Williams. Damian Williams, Derek Gore. I, I think – Derek Gore, I started looking up. It's like, is this Frank Gore's son? Yeah, is it, yeah. <laughs> who, who is this guy? But I think the fact that we're having this conversation, I think we all acknowledge there is possibility here. He tested like 
a really damn good athlete. Uh, he was good in college. He was a solid player. Rutgers is just awful. Just an awful team. I'm not watching it. I mean, they, they've been bad since, uh, you know, Ray Rice was there. So I think the offense is good. He's getting – my thing with Camp Buzz is this. I know we kind of overreact, but I'd rather the buzz be positive than this dude looks like absolute crap out there, right? And I think if there was an offense for – an undrafted or, or later round player sort of rising up with this coaching staff. We saw it with Tyreek Hill, who was a fifth round pick, showed flashes and got opportunity. We're looking for opportunity. Now in redraft, uh, what does that mean? I, I would say probably not, but something to monitor. And hell, if we get out there week one, here's a, if week one, Isaiah Pacheco was on the field in an NFL game, my antennas are not just up. I'm like, all right, let me let me go see what's up. Let me go get this guy. But right now, I'd say I don't know about for redraft this year. I like the player. The fact that we're talking about it, uh, I think it matters to a degree. It's ridiculous. Like the amount the Ray listed the running backs before, but Damian Daryl Williams, like these are both undrafted guys with absolutely like no real track record of success until Andy Reid's like, Hey, go out there and be our featured running back. And we're going to throw you the ball, you know, up and down the field. The one guy, Clyde Edwards Solaire, they used the first round pick on, as Dwayne said, one injury after another, don't want to completely hold that against him, but really it does seem like a situation they could take over. Like Dwayne, Okay, CEH was hurt at the end of last year. He was playing through some pain. He was active, and we talk about wanting to be, you know, wanting to give the benefit of doubt to guys that are playing through the pain as opposed to someone that just sits on the sideline. But, man, Jared McKinnon, they chose him over CEH down the stretch of last season. If Isaiah Pacheco happens to somehow get that job at some point, I mean, again, we're talking about basically like your last draft pick there. That's the sort of dart I think that is probably worth throwing. And to Ray's point, that may not be for every redraft league. So we know everybody, we've got a wide audience, right, listening. You, If you're in like a, you know, a 10-team league and you've got 14 rounds, you're, you're Isaiah Pacheco, you're just watching, like Ray said, and you, you see week one, you're, you're immediately thinking about adding him on the waiver, even if it was a limited role, if you see that he's out there for the Chiefs. If you're playing in a a league with 20 rounds. Ian, I think you and I actually like we took Pacheco in like round 18 the other night on a team where we had where we had Rojo, you know, and we were just like, well, we'll just we don't normally cuff our guys, but in redraft we can drop one of them, but it's the Kansas City offense. So, you know, let's take a look at it. So, yeah, I think it just depends on the format. If you're playing in a really deep league, he's a great last round dart pick, you know, round 18 or so. Otherwise, yeah, you're probably just watching him on the waiver wire. I think we've talked enough running backs. Dwayne, have you, have you looked at Ray's Twitter account recently? Because as much I as I raised Twitter, account. I, that's true. But you know, I, I, I love the work that, uh, I think like Falcons, Kevin, uh, I think it's Kevin Knight, the Falcons. Beat, that dude's beat been killing it, man. He's been killing it. Shout out Kevin Knight, man. Absolutely. <laughs> Shout out Kevin Knight. And as much as I'm combing through Kevin's Twitter, trying to find any and all Auden Tate propaganda, there's a certain other receiver in Atlanta that, you know, maybe a little bit more relevant in the year uh, 2022 than I'd like to admit, but Ray Drake London, man, someone that we were talking about earlier this off season and just, you know, the fallacy around the idea that this man can't separate. Hey, is it illegal to be, to have great contested catch skills and also be able to separate my God, Ray, let the people know what the Falcons have in Drake London. They got a monster, man. They got they got a monster. They got two monsters, Kyle Pitts and Drake London. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Excuse me. <laughs> yeah, don't let me leave listen, off Patterson yeah, on this show, Ray. Yes, Come on. yes, Patterson. <laughs> yes, yeah. Get on well, brand, I, Ray. Yeah, I'm sorry. The Brian Edwards, they got monsters <laughs> everywhere, right? Uh, but I think uh, Drake London, uh, I mean, what do you want me to say? He's huge. He's going to be he's going to be a target in the red zone. Uh, the offense is going to flow through Kyle Pitts first and foremost. It's going to be the Kyle Pitts show. But I think Drake London is in line to receive his fair share of targets, and he's going to get have, have a, he's going to have opportunities in the red zone. How many times will Atlanta be in the red zone? That's the that's the real question. I don't know, and that's that's the scary proposition. He, he could finish the season you now seven eight hundred receiving yards, but push for ten touchdowns. I think that's what you're kind of looking for. I think he's a fantastic player. There's a lot of misconceptions about separation, one of those buzzwords that people throw around and really don't understand uh, what that means and and how it's applied and how it's executed in the league. Uh, but I'm ex- I'm excited about London, and uh, I'm seeing right now round eight ADP. Ooh. Yeah. 
Is that an auto pick for you there? That's um, I, I think you have to. I, I think you have to. That the the ceiling for him, even if he's just a red zone guy this year, which I don't think he will be, uh, you got to smash that. Yeah, it could be really condensed between those two, and then what they give to Patterson in this offense. Like you know, that's what it feels like to me. So even though it's not a great offense. Mariota's at least been serviceable when he's been on an NFL field. We're not saying he's a great NFL quarterback. He's going to win a lot of games, but you know, he's supported fantasy producers in the past. Like he's supported, uh, you know, Delaney Walker, you know, so he's, he's given Delaney Walker like top finishes. He's supported, you know, even Corey Davis, he's supported two top 36 guys before. So I think just saying it's out of the range of outcomes and, and who knows, maybe we see some Desmond Ritter, you know, later in the season. Richard so, Matthews had 945 yeah, yards and nine touchdowns one. of Mariota under center. You tell me wow. one that can't get there. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Look at you, Ian. Look Pulling at you. Some old shit. Just, yeah, man. That's some good. That's some, that's some, that's that some was good a good one. Right that was a good one. Cool. I'm, I'm going to tweet cool. it, guys. I'm going to tweet it. Let's go. That's a good one. I think I tweet, I tweeted that one like a couple months ago and I got like one like, Ian, you'll get like 4,000. So hit it. <laughs> so I'm getting the impression that, you know, they're right next to each other in ADP. So uh, Drake London versus Alan Lazard, you're, you're leaning Drake London here, Dwayne? Don't do this to me. Like, Alan Lazard actually thinks I personally like hate him and his family probably at this point. So I'm not going to be drawn <laughs> off sides. But yes, I'm definitely taking Drake London. Look, just simply going and looking at receivers taken in the top eight, Drake London was pick eight. You know, the, the, over the last 10 years, like I'm not going to read them all off to you folks. Just go look at them. It's a damn who's who's list. Occasionally yeah. you're going to get a miss. I know people are, well, this class is weaker, blah, blah, blah. Whatever. Like he got an eighth round pick. He's in an offense where he's going to be on the field all the time. Like yep. you can get him in round eight of your fantasy draft. Let's just not overcomplicate shit. All right, Ray. We've gotten gotten mm. the Drake London love off your chest. Mm. What about someone? What about mm. someone that also a first round receiver had a bit of a rocky offseason, uh, to say the least. You know, everyone had a bad thing to say about one at Traylon Burks during OTAs, but he's out there now. We're hearing the right things from the beat reporters, right things from the coaching staffs. Certainly looks good out there. You know, small sample kind of doing, I guess, the press man stuff that we were hoping to see more out of guys. But Dwayne and I have had this conversation a lot where it's tough to know with someone like Burks. Like, was he getting the gadgety looks because that's all he can do? Or was he getting that because he was the best player on the Arkansas football team? Why wouldn't they just try to get the ball in his hands? Where were you on Traylon Burks before the draft? And how do you think he fits into the Titans' immediate 2022 plans? Yeah, I was a big Traylon Burks wide receiver one in this class for – probably a year and a half. Um, and then when Drake London went out there and just the insane target share and what he did his final season, I, I bumped Drake London up to one. Traylon Burks is my wide receiver too. I, I did not buy the asthma thing during minicamp. I went on Twitter and pretty much said, He's fat and out of shape, and once he gets in shape, he'll be fine. And he admitted that. And that's one of the things that I really – he did a full five-minute interview where he said, I wasn't prepared for it. I didn't eat right. I wasn't training right during minicamp. I got in the lab. I lost eight pounds, and I'm ready to go. And I think Traylon Burks, listen, the books still have him projected as the rookie wide receiver uh, that should have the most receiving yards this season. I think his line is – I saw it anywhere from 800 to 850, but I do believe he's still projected to lead rookie receivers in, in yards this season. And in an offense where it's just kind of Robert Woods coming off of that ACL tear and as good as he looks, normally it takes these guys about a year, or at least half a year to get back to their old self. He's going to have every damn opportunity to make plays in that offense because here's the thing, Tennessee isn't rebuilding. They want to win. You know, they, they are a playoff team. They are wins away from a Super Bowl appearance, he's not going to have a damn choice but to go out there and be thrown the ball and make plays. And with somebody, the, the, the what happened with Traylon Burks is we put the alien label on him going into the combine, and he didn't perform like that. And then it's just like, oh, my God, this guy, not only is he gadgety, he's not even a supreme athlete. I'd venture to say, you guys, if Tra if you ask Traylon how his conditioning and his preparation was going into camp into the combine, he'd, he'd admit and say probably not where it needed to be. I'm in on Burks. I think he can have a monster season this year for Tennessee. I know it's a run first offense, but Tannehill is a is a capable quarterback, and they are devoid of pass catching weapons. Uh, sign me up for Traylon Burks. I think he could have uh, probably the best rookie wide receiver season that, from this class. Ray, real quick on this, you know, to, you know, talking about the gadgety stuff and what Ian's referring to, and you know this already, but just for the audience, lots of looks at or behind the line of scrimmage, lining up in the backfield, lining up in the slot, 
But again, their quarterbacks were also not very good. So it could have also just been, they're saying, let's just give the quarterback the easiest way to get this ball into Traylon Burks' hands. But I think the question that trips most people up, and I know you hear it because you, you're yeah. in those dynasty streets, but the biggest thing I hear, and people just, I, I don't like black and white answers on this kind of stuff, right? Where people are so binary yeah. and they're just like, no, he can't run routes. Based on what you saw from Traylon Burks and knowing the way that, Tennessee runs their offense. If you look at AJ Brown, like he was never, it was, he had huge target shares to your point, a run, a run first offense, but it was all about creating those mismatches, getting him in behind the linebackers, you know, against zone, running those digs, um, getting that yak, right? Basically setting up, you know, AJ Brown just to be a hoss, you know, once he got the ball in his hands. So when you look at Burks, you look at the type of scheme they run. What did you see with his route running? Do you think he can fit into this scheme immediately? Absolutely. He's no savant. He's not going to run Jerry Judy levels of routes. I mean, that's that's just not his game. Uh, but he runs the routes that are important. I think, Dwayne, you put something out uh, during the pre-draft process about which routes the NFL, you know, what what is the most common route in the NFL. He'll be fine. He'll be fine. I'm not worried about it. And I mean, hell, Des Bryant ran about three routes his entire career. That's all he did. He ran three routes, and he was just fine. It's about creating mismatches. And does he have the skill and the talent to to win when those mismatches are created? And I think the answer to that is yes. Everybody wants to see Stephon Diggs. Everybody wants to see Devontae Adams. And Not every receiver archetype. It's not going to look as aesthetically pleasing as some of those guys. But as long as you can create separation – which can occur from the route itself or at the catch point. I challenge people to go back and watch Jamar Chase. There are times where he's blanketed the whole route, and at the very end before he gets the ball, he creates that separation at the catch point, gets it, stiff arms the defender, and he's off for a touchdown. Burks has that ability to do it. He did it in the SEC as the only man there, and I challenge you to watch Arkansas this fall and watch how fun that offense is to watch an Arkansas game. The reason why they used him the way they did is because there was nobody else in that receiving game, and they just said, damn it, just get Traylon the ball by any means necessary. Love it. That, that's that's kind of where I'm falling on it. You know, I mean, it's just just... I feel like there's enough question there, and, and we and we just love the big play upside that Burks gives you. So here's one that I mean, you talk about, you know, some of the stuff that I put out in the preseason, you know, the routes that are run the most often. And so Sky Moore is a guy that absolutely skyrocketed when you look at this. So what Ray was referencing is what I call NFL staple routes. Basically, I took a cutoff of every NFL route that over the last three years is at least used 7% of the time. Cause it'll, it, it'll drop down to like five. You got routes out there like back shoulder fades. They get used 0.05% of the time. They're beautiful. We love them. And, and I want a receiver to be able to make the catch, but to be honest, NFL teams don't deploy them that much, right? It can be quarterback wide receiver specific, like Aaron Rodgers might do it more. But at the end of the day, when you look at those staple routes, Sky Moore had the best yards per route run of all the wide receivers coming out in this class over his collegiate career. So that includes really your crossing routes, your hitches, your slants, normal things. That's why I call them staples, right? You know, mashed potatoes and, you know, your steak. We see them all the time in the league. And so I think the common narrative that we hear with Moore as well comes from a small school, probably not going to be ready to play. But then when I look at that data and I'm like, well, all I can ask Guy Moore to do is beat who's lined up across from him at the, you know, collegiate level. And it, yeah, it wasn't the SEC, but at the same time, he was really good at the things that the NFL looks for, and he gets to play with the Chiefs. We've got questions around Marquise Valdez-Scantling. Got paid, but hasn't really been you know, a player that's checked any boxes yet. Juju, a player that, yes, he finally got another chance, but it's not like people were lining up to re-sign Juju. And you know, he's a 25, 26-year-old receiver. If he was really good, like seems like he would be getting contract. Again, not saying Juju won't be. Dwayne, you know, he was awesome that. in 2013, bro. <laughs> I knew you were going to go there, Ian. Like, I honestly should just laid out and let you take the juju piece. But to Ian's point, all of his metrics have been in decline since his breakout season. You know, so I mean, those are things we have to pay attention for. Could juju bounce back? Yeah, we hope all these things. We want the best outcomes for these players. And you got Tyreek Hill gone. So my thought is like, could you? Could we really? Be, could Sky Moore really be the guy that might ascend to be the number two option in a loaded in an offense with Patrick Mahomes, you know, behind Travis Kelsey. Kelsey's obviously the one as long as he's healthy, but could Sky Moore potentially really surprise people this year? Going into this training camp, I said he's a 2023 play. I was like, uh, you know, he'll get his shots, but probably consistency that we're looking for won't happen until next year. 
and every report again uh, we're just listen don't shoot the messenger we're just we're just we are just a conduit for what people are saying that are at the camps they're saying he's going to be a thing this season and he is talented i had him as a top six receiver in this class the route inventory is there uh, the athleticism is there and he's a part of a great offense that just lost one of the best wide receivers in the nfl and they replaced him with mvs and best ball i love me some mvs i want those shots but if you're saying ray you got to pick one of these wide receivers from the jump and you've got to plug him into a lineup this season i think even if sky Moore's not the guy from day one there's a good chance by week four or five we're looking up and we're like damn man probably should i probably could have eaten those first couple of weeks of you know not starting Sky Moore or a couple of points to to get what he's going to become by the end of the season. I think there's a very real chance that he ascends to you know that that secondary target behind Tyreek Hill. So so here's your choices. You can take Juju in round six of a draft. We'll, we'll leave Kelsey out. We all love yeah. Kelsey. You can take Juju in round six of your redraft league. You could take Sky Moore in round 10 of your redraft league, or you could get MVS in round 11 and you just, you got to put one ship down. Yeah. Sky. Yeah. Sky. I love it. And we've heard the same notes out of training camp and, and to raise earlier point, like, no, we can't put all of our weight behind one word, but I, I prefer for guys to be having good training camps versus bad training camps. And chiefs beat reporter, Pete Sweeney specifically said that he came into training camp, pretty certain sky Moore was a 2023 guy began to think he may be quite ahead of his assumed schedule. So all good things for sky Moore. You know, he had to be helped out of practice the other day. He was right back out there the next day. So looking healthy, looking good. And again, it's not anything really about if Juju was priced like MBS, I'd be happy to take a dart there, but it's just, the uh just the, the draft capital the what do you call it when someone gets like you know the the crown to get knighted like the coronation coronation yeah. that's the word i was looking for we're already like giving juju that so much more ahead of not only anyone in kansas city but also green bay man like you know Dwayne, like you, you hate alan okay you don't hate alan lazard you hate, <laughs> man come on don't, hate, don't put the personal hate thing on me just you hate alan lazard's adp <laughs> yes like juju God. Like Lazard doesn't have a Travis Kelsey to worry about. Like PFF projections, yeah, we have Mahomes for forty eight hundred yards. Rogers is still forty five hundred. Man, it's just it's wild to me. Almost like the premium you have to pay for all these Chiefs guys compared to the Packers, especially Juju. Yeah, that look. If Lazard something happens to this man, like I'll probably be suspect number one because someone's going to see my Twitter and think that I just don't like him, and I don't. I, I probably need to go clarify. I haven't even looked. Alan Lazard probably, probably has me blocked. I'll have rookie to check, but. rookie theme podcast, and we just keep yeah. bringing up Alan Lazard. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of yeah. the Packers, though, right? Christian yeah. Watson has been sidelining camp with a knee injury, mm. paving the way for my guy. This is a Romeo Dobbs fantasy mm. football podcast. He is starting to really flash. And look, I, I'm biased here. Like you are not going to find someone in the industry that's been a bigger backer of Romeo Dobbs over the last few months. So with all that in mind, Ray, can, can the guy do it? Can this guy go leap up? Because everything that I've tried to look into at Romeo Dobbs, it seems to be a competition level issue but you know we just talked about sky Moore and some of these other guys if that's the only thing we're worried about why not throw that late round dart i like romeo dubs as well i was concerned because i was at the senior bowl and i watched him every rep he took in one-on-ones and he probably walked away from that senior bowl as one of the most disappointing wide receivers there i mean he's getting locked up at the line of scrimmage by cornerbacks from the citadel from from non-p5 schools i mean it was Everybody was impressed because you see him in person. And I shook his hand. His hands are massive, man. Good kid. Yes, sir. No, sir. To me, I'm like, I'm no damn sir, man. I'm just talking <laughs> to you, right? But it was not impressive um, at the Senior Bowl. Then he gets drafted in round four. But, but the same way that, you know, we're talking about Isaiah Pacheco and the positive, it, you can't ignore what you're hearing out of Green Bay. And they spent a second round pick on a receiver that I was iffy about in the first place, and he's not practicing. And you're, you're telling me that it's Sammy Watkins? That I'm a little high. We're not going to do it today, but I'm a little higher than Dwayne on Lazard. Not hey, the player, hey, but the opportunity. If you want to give Lazard love, you are just the, just, the op like. just the opportunity. But Romeo Dubs. Why not? Amari Rogers was out of shape last year. They already came out and said uh, uh, the Lafleur was disappointed with his conditioning last year. He had to lose weight. I mean, it's it's Watkins, it's Lazard, it's 
I don't even know the other Yoo-Hoo's that they have. So I think there's a shot for Romeo Dubs this year. If if we'll know very early, if he's on the field in three wide receiver sets starting for Green Bay week one, uh, I mean, at that point, it's too damn late, right? Unless he's on waivers, but he's going to have a shot. He's going to have it a sounds shot. Like, it sounds like the best role for him. They're going to play Lazard more at the X, right? Um, so he's going to be up on the line of scrimmage for folks like the X. You know, you got the two sides of the off. It doesn't really matter. The NFL now the way shit's ran. Like there's four wide receivers on one side. <laughs> you know, we get some wild stuff. But they're lined up at the line of scrimmage. So if a corner wants to press them, right, it's easier to do. Whereas, you know, you typically talk about a Z receiver. Um, you talk about a flanker. They're off the line of scrimmage. So they immediately get a little bit more room to operate. Harder for a cornerback to lock them up. Also, when you look at the Packers offense, if you win that Z roll, like they'll move you around. They'll put you in the they'll they'll put you in motion. They'll swing you inside, split the tight end outside, and they'll do some of that stuff with Lazard too. But from what I'm hearing from you, like Ray, like if we saw him in that role, maybe that helps offset, you know, as he's still growing as a young player. If they can keep him out of those scenarios where he can just get locked up. And look, folks, number one, the and as much as I talk about it, and it doesn't matter for grading NFL receivers because there's less noise, you want to look at man coverage. The NFL runs at 30% of the time. Now, it's a little higher than that because cover four, things like that can turn into on the backside. You got a guy going deep. It turns into man coverage like that zone turns into a man coverage, you know, snap. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of zone. Right. And there's a lot of ways. And you mentioned this earlier, you know, Ray, there's different ways to create separation. And outside of talent, the other thing is scheme. If you get in the right scheme, you know, and you can look at look at Debo Samuel, not to say he's just a scheme player. But talk about a player they use perfectly in a scheme, right? That's that's what Debo is. And so it sounds like what we would want to watch for with Dobbs is let's see what kind of role he is playing. You know, And in the preseason, they move guys around. But if we could figure that out and we think that he has a chance to be that outside Z receiver, maybe that protects him from some of the weaknesses that you witnessed at the, at the Senior Bowl. And that gives him a chance. It's all about getting that spot in three wide receiver sets, like Ray said. Ultimately, I mean, I'm sure he'll go up there and make at least one great contested catch in the preseason. Maybe it'll be like Ramondre Stevenson style against a bunch of four stringers, and everyone's gonna lose their mind. But when you look at the Packers, just wide receiver depth chart, we, you know, we all do expect Alan Lazard to be a full time player there. But there's a chance on the other side of the formation, we have Dobbs rotating with Sammy Watkins in a similar manner that Watkins was ro- rotating with Rashad Bateman last year. We all hated it. It happened, and Sammy Watkins is one of those progress stopper type guys that could do it. Similar thing in the slot with Randall Cobb and Amari Rogers. So you can argue again in Kansas City, like that is how these wide receivers were bust. It'd be at MBS, Colt, Juju, and Sky Moore are basically forming this four wide receiver rotation. We do see it happen from time to time. Ray, you've been fantastic. We have one more question for you, wide receiver style, but we're getting the getting the token August being used in the backfield disclaimer for one Wandale Robinson. Now this is being helpful because uh, starting slot wide receiver Sterling Shepard remains on the pup list with the Achilles injury, but with Wandale, man, someone that coming out, I thought almost that Brian Dable was just overspending on his version of Isaiah McKenzie, nothing against Isaiah McKenzie, but I questioned Wandale's ability to just seize like a full-time starting role in the year 2022. What are your thoughts on him and the potential to, I don't know, man. It's a wide open offense with a new coach. Like, do you think Wandale is maybe a, has a sneaky, solid chance of getting up there with Kadarius Tony and Kenny Galladay in terms of leading the team in target share? Yeah, I do. I do. I, I, I too thought they over. I was like, ah, second round. This seems seems kind of high for Wandale Robinson initially. Then you start to look at some of his yards per route run data versus you know press coverage, early declares from the SEC. And he's right up there with Jamar Chase and Jalen Waddle. And I'm not, I'm not saying Wandell Robinson is Jamar Chase, but he's definitely not one of those guys that just run those Mickey Mouse routes, uh, flare routes out of the bag, gadget guy. Like his final season at Kentucky, he showed, listen, I- I'm getting the hell out of Nebraska. I'm going to the toughest collegiate preparatory conference that that the NFL has. And I'm going to dominate and I'm going to be a second round pick on an offense where Kenny Galladay looks terrible. Sterling Shepard can't stay healthy. I hope we get to see Kadarius Tony at, at potential. The problem is Daniel Jones. That's that's the issue. And how much do you believe in Daniel Jones and how much how much do you think like how much faith do you want to put in him helping Wandell or anybody in that offense overcome you know, his inefficiencies as a quarterback. I like Wandell. I think he can make some splash plays. 
I, I can envision at least early on, whereas with Traylon Burks and, and Drake London, if you told me I had to just throw them in my lineup week one, like I'd be like, I really don't want to do it, but okay. Like, all right, I could throw them in there. I could see London or Burks doing something week one. Wandell, I just wouldn't feel good about that early on. I'd want to see it maybe more for best ball, uh, but I do like the player. And I think there is some, some, some room for some sneaky upside uh, as the season progresses with him. Dwayne, did you just hear what I heard where Ray just said Wandale Robinson is Jamar Chase? See what I'm saying? I see what I'm saying. I'm pretty sure that's what our our social media team will definitely put as the quote, (laughs) Ray, whenever they put this podcast out. No added context. Just that's all we want. Get ready for that, Ray. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. All right, Dwayne, anything else for our lovely guest here? No, man, Ray, we appreciate it. It's been great. I, I will say one thing, um, you know, if you're out in the streets on Twitter and you happen to see, and I know you're in the dynasty circles, you're working that Debbie angle. One of my favorite things to do is when you see someone uh, tweeting about Debbie, I joke with the Debbie guys. I, I think it's awesome. And I love what's going on. And I use their information, you know, because I don't scout high school and these guys super early in college. So don't take this the wrong way. But what I love doing to mess with them is I'll see them talking about uh, Romeo Dobbs. And I'll say, look, man, Ian Hardis was definitely first to the table on this. You know, <laughs> just use Hardis's line. He's been a lifelong uh, Romeo Dobbs fan for months. They never get it. They'll come back and be like, four years, man. And I'm like, I'm just kidding. I'm, <laughs> I'm just totally kidding. kidding. I'm already yeah. setting this. Uh, this I'm, I'm doing the right things to be a lifelong Caleb Williams guy, too. Every time he does something good for Oklahoma, now USC, I'm like, guys, I've been I've been saying this since the guy was in eighth grade. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, yeah, just pick a pick. Leave us, al- leave us alone. Leave us alone. <laughs> let, us, let us scout our uh, our 14 year olds in peace. Leave us alone. I love it. You guys are you guys are the best, man. We love your work. We really appreciate you being on. You've done a great job today, man. Big time grinder, of course. That is Ray G, host of Wake Up TV, Destination Debbie Radio, part of the Draft Network. Make sure you subscribe to the All Gas Newsletter. Ray, anything else you want to get off your chest? Appreciate you guys having me on. Let's enjoy the riveting Hall of Fame game, baby. Hall of Fame football is back. No fire alarms from Ian. Let's get it, man. <laughs> football is back. You're damn right at Ray G Q Q U E on Twitter for Ray for Dwayne. I'm Ian. Thanks for those for tuning in the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And until next time, take care.